you're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Is cannabis really safe? I've seen some close calls. I've seen some near misses. And I'm telling you, in a perfect storm scenario, somebody could get harmed. And then the reputation of cannabis as a safe medication goes out the window. The combined North American cannabis market alone is expected to exceed $16 billion in value in 2019 alone. People all over the world are taking notice and becoming more curious than ever about cannabis. The momentum of cannabis legalization across the world does not seem to be slowing down. And as more places legalize cannabis, broader demographics of cannabis users are emerging. As more and more people are trying cannabis without fear of legal repercussions, I wanted to understand just how safe cannabis products are, or perhaps they aren't. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking all about cannabis safety and harm reduction. And to start our curious quest, we'll be focusing on three main questions. One, just how toxic is cannabis? And as an aside, what the heck is in cannabis anyway? Two, what are the known health risks of cannabis use? And three, how can anyone that chooses to use cannabis or cannabis products minimize those risks? Now this is a really big topic and we could spend hours upon hours exploring it. And in effect, this topic will end up being woven throughout the podcast. As such, there are several aspects of cannabis safety that we won't be getting into in this initial series of episodes. So if there's a topic we don't end up covering immediately, don't worry, we'll get there. Now, let's get started. So cannabis contains a lot of different chemicals. Depending on what research paper you read, there could be anywhere from 400 to over 500 compounds that have been characterized in cannabis so far. But some researchers think there are likely far more chemicals in cannabis. You know, the idea that there's only 400 compounds in in cannabis, I think is super naive as well. That's Kevin Spellman, a molecular biologist and phytochemist that's dedicated his entire professional career to trying to understand why plants affect the body the way they do. And lately... He's had his eyes on cannabis. If you look at corn and you look at wheat, respectively, there's, they have found 3,000 and mm-hmm. 5,000 different compounds in there. And these are probably the most studied plants, right, yeah. analytically. Yeah. And so I can tell you with certain clarity that there's at least 1,000 compounds in probably every single plant. So despite what the scientific literature may say, there very well may be 1,000 or more chemicals found in herbal cannabis alone. But when cannabis is burned, however... Uh, smoke is really complex, obviously. There's thousands and thousands of compounds in smoke. That's Justin Fischetic, a natural products researcher that once burned cannabis joints to see what was in the smoke. Of course, all for science. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, we uh, quite literally um, would take joints and burn them with a pump that would suck the smoke into a solvent, which was kind of somewhat, uh, I mean, it was in a fume hood and whatever. You know, we never started any fires doing that. But yeah, we, we had students uh, whose job it was to basically light the joint and have the, the pump was on a timer and the pump would like imitate somebody inhaling for a certain period of time. And we just collect that, that's the vapor into the solvent or the smoke into the solvent and analyze that. Uh, smoke is really complex, obviously. 
there's thousands and thousands of compounds in smoke and you, you can't analyze them all necessarily just using GC. Uh, but cannabis smoke has been well characterized in the past, mainly to like show how dangerous it could be. But, um, but it, like burning any plant material, you're going to make lots of toxic compounds. But yeah, we we worry, you know, there are still terpenes in cannabis smoke. Um, I'm sure there are all kinds of side reactions that happen with them, but we couldn't identify all that stuff. It wasn't really worth our effort. Um, but there, that also happens with the cannabinoids too. There's a bunch of side reactions that happen and all kinds of new cannabinoids are formed. But for the most part, it's still the major ingredient, THC. Cannabinoids like THC or CBD are by far the most abundant compounds found in the resins that surround the female cannabis flowers. Which if you didn't know, that's really what most cannabis users are after, are those resins. Now, THC and CBD actually appear in the cannabis plant as slightly different molecules, as THCA or CBDA. And when they're heated up, they change into their well-known counterparts, THC and CBD. So to start our journey of trying to understand just how toxic some of these compounds in cannabis might be, it makes sense to start with some of these primary active constituents of the cannabis plant, THC and CBD. In one now pretty much infamous study that was done in 1973, dogs were given THC orally in escalating doses all the way up to 9 grams of THC per kilogram of body weight all in an attempt to try to find a lethal dose. To put that into perspective, it's not uncommon for a lot of dogs to weigh somewhere between 20 and 30 pounds. So in kilograms, that would be like 9 to around 14 kilograms. So let's go on the low side and assume a 9-kilogram dog. This study would have administered around 80 grams of THC in a single dose orally to that dog. And even at dosages that high, they weren't able to get a lethal response. Now, if you want to think about this in terms of cannabis joints or cannabis cigarettes, consider a joint, let's assume a joint has around a gram of cannabis in it, and let's say that cannabis contains 20% THC. That'd be 200 milligrams per gram of THC in the cannabis, which would mean that there'd be 200 milligrams of THC in the joint if the joint has a full gram of cannabis in it. And so to get the same kind of dosage that these dogs were getting, you know, you'd have to consume like 400, 500 joints at once. And that still would probably not kill you. Now let's jump forward from 1973 to 1988. There was a petition to try to reclassify the legal status of cannabis. Now, cannabis was and is currently at the time of this recording considered a Schedule I drug by the Drug Enforcement Agency, or the DEA. This category of drugs is reserved for drugs with no accepted medical use and a high propensity for abuse. Other drugs in this category include things like heroin and bath salts. Well, in the 80s, there was a push to try to reschedule cannabis, and an administrative law judge, Francis Young, issued a report commenting on the whole issue. And in this report, he stated, In order to induce death, a marijuana smoker would have to consume 20,000 to 40,000 times as much marijuana as is contained in one marijuana cigarette. A smoker would theoretically have to consume nearly 1,500 pounds of marijuana within about 15 minutes to induce a lethal response. Now, by that measure, <laughs> if you're trying to consume 1,500 pounds of marijuana in 15 minutes, um, one... I don't think physically you'll ever be able to pull that off, um, but second to that, even if you could, you're going to have some 
way more serious issues related to carbon monoxide poisoning and tar exposure um, than you would need to worry about any issues coming from cannabinoids as far as a lethal response goes. But that was THC. What about CBD? As recently as this year, in 2019, a report was issued claiming that CBD was identified as being toxic for the liver. Publications like Forbes promoted headlines reading CBD causes liver damage. So is this something cannabis consumers need to be concerned about? I had the chance to talk about the safety of CBD with Dr. Ethan Russo, a neurologist and cannabinoid researcher that worked as a medical advisor for the development of two cannabinoid pharmaceuticals, Sativex and Epidiolex. Epidiolex, specifically, is a pure CBD pharmaceutical. There was uh, an article that came out recently. It was a rodent study. The doses of cannabidiol that they were using Mm -hmm. purportedly uh, producing liver damage would be impossible to attain uh, in a human and somehow this travesty passed peer review and was widely reported uh, by the media. Uh, it has no correspondence to reality. I just wish that it had been sent to me and I would have done my best to ensure that uh, it didn't deserve publication and um, this kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this kind of material is often produced uh, with uh, taxpayer money. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's more than intellectually dishonest, it's downright dangerous and unethical. If you look up the LD50 for cannabidiol or CBD, which, in case you don't know, LD50 just stands for lethal dose 50%, meaning what is the lethal dose that will kill off 50% of a target population? And usually this is in rodents monkeys or dogs if you look up the ld50 for cannabidiol you'll typically find data reporting intravenous doses of over 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight now it would be extremely difficult to get that much cbd in your bloodstream through typical consumption methods to put this into perspective for an average human that weighs 65 kilograms or around 144 pounds 200 milligrams per kilogram equates to a dose of approximately 13,000 milligrams, or 13 grams, of pure CBD. And this 13 grams of CBD would have to be in your bloodstream to reach this LD50. Now, consider that CBD-rich cannabis, like hemp, contains approximately 10 to 20% CBD, or 100 to 200 milligrams of CBD per gram of cannabis flour. So if you consume a gram of CBD-rich cannabis flour you're ultimately going to be exposed to maybe 200 milligrams of CBD at best. Now, ignoring the fact that not everything that's in that flower is going to actually make it into your body, and ignoring the fact that everything that makes it into your body is not necessarily going to make it into your bloodstream or uh, reach any sites of action in your body, ignoring all of those facts, 200 milligrams is approximately 1.5% of the 13 grams you would need to get to the lethal dose. I've seen a lot of people conflate, even in uh, presentations at conferences, conflate the side effect profile of pure CBD at high dosage Mm -hmm. to CBD in general, and that's not a fair comparison. I would uh, say that cannabidiol, uh, despite its many complex 
mechanisms of action as an extremely safe drug with very few adverse events. Now, to put this into further context, let's consider the LD50s of some other compounds you might be familiar with. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. For nicotine, the LD50 is around 8 to 13 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, which for most humans equates to something a little over a half a gram of pure nicotine, which equates to about 40 cigarettes or so. (coughs) You know, 40 cigarettes, that's still a lot, but you can see how that would be actually physically possible to achieve uh, and something that you need to really be careful about. You can you know, die from nicotine poisoning, although it it is pretty rare. Now, what about caffeine, another drug that, you know, people are commonly exposed to, even more so than nicotine? The LD50 of caffeine is 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight through oral administration. Now, this is important to take note of. This is 200 milligrams per kilogram, which sounds similar to the CBD LD50 of 200 milligrams per kilogram, but we're talking about oral administration in caffeine versus intravenous administration in CBD. Huge differences. Not everything that you consume orally is going to make it to your blood. So the LD50 for caffeine is actually a lot lower than CBD, meaning that it is easier to achieve a lethal dose of caffeine than it is to achieve a lethal dose of CBD. Now, 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight for oral caffeine, that ends up equating to somewhere between 75 and 100 cups of coffee, back-to-back, as fast as you can drink them. Once again, pretty hard to achieve. Maybe that's possible. Um, You'd probably have a number of other issues before you got to that 75th cup of coffee. But the point is, is that reaching the lethal dose for CBD is even harder much harder than even reaching the lethal dose of caffeine. Now you may be saying, okay, sure, it may be difficult to lethally overdose on THC or CBD, but cannabis is a lot more than THC or CBD, and you'd absolutely be right. So just how many reported deaths are there associated with cannabis use? While many advocates of cannabis claim that there have been no deaths attributed to cannabis, That's not exactly true. However, the number is still extremely, extremely low. There have been a handful of case studies reported that have linked fatal heart attacks and lung infections with cannabis use, but these reports have been difficult to confirm definitively. During autopsies, they tend to try to look for drugs in the system, and cannabis tends to stand out, and there can be a number of reasons for that. One is that cannabinoids linger in the body longer than a lot of other drugs. But even with that controlled, there are some cases where it seems like the only thing out of the ordinary that someone encountered right before they died was cannabis. And we can't just totally rule those case studies out. Now, consider there have been this handful of reports of people that have had these heart attacks or lung infections Um, that have died supposedly because of their cannabis use. Now let's also consider that there are estimated to be approximately 100 million people in the United States alone that admit to having at least tried cannabis once. 
and well over 30 million people that are classified as regular users in the United States. Now, that's just based on how many people are willing to admit their own cannabis use on a survey. The actual numbers, we don't really know, but you know, we know there are a lot of cannabis users in the United States. So we're looking at a handful of possible fatalities linked to cannabis use compared to tens of millions of users, regular users, repeated users. So let's assume one out of 10 million users were to die from cannabis use in some way. We'll be kind of ultra conservative here. That would mean that you would have a 0.00001% chance of dying just from cannabis use. And even that's an exaggerated number. To put that into context, you'd have a much greater chance of dying by getting into a car crash or getting struck by lightning than you would from using cannabis. So okay, it's unlikely that anyone's going to die from a lethal overdose of cannabis. But what about other health risks? Remember that old lady who was killed by what was called a marijuana crazed youth? Under the influence of the drug, he killed his entire family with an axe. All reefer madness and propaganda aside, there are a variety of research papers out there that have summarized the common, realistic health risks of cannabis use. One common symptom of cannabis use is dry mouth, also called xerostomia. Xerostomia can negatively affect mouth health if not managed properly, and can lead to changes to the bacteria and fungi that live in our mouths. This can potentially lead to things like gum disease, tooth decay, bad breath, and even an altered sense of taste, which is pretty strange. Now, many may assume that the dry mouth effect from cannabis use is related to smoking, but this does not seem to be the case. The dry mouth effect is directly linked to the stimulation of cannabinoid receptors in the body, regardless of how you choose to use cannabis. Another thing cannabis affects directly is blood pressure. Interestingly enough, cannabis can lead to lower blood pressure with repeated use, but at high dosages and acutely, cannabis can actually elevate blood pressure and heart rate. And this can be particularly problematic for users that have a prior history of heart issues, such as high blood pressure or previous occurrences of heart attacks. And this effect, of course, can be made worse by smoking. Additionally, if you're smoking cannabis, you also run a greater risk of experiencing chronic bronchitis and emphysema. THC-rich cannabis can cause motor coordination disruption, potentially increasing the risk of falls, home or workplace accidents, and car wrecks. However, this effect tends to be much more mild in frequent users that have built up a tolerance. THC-rich cannabis can present several psychological health risks to users, including memory disruption, anxiety, fear, and paranoia. When it comes to the negative psychological effects of cannabis, new or infrequent users are more likely to experience those effects compared to regular users. Additionally, cannabis can act as a precipitating event for mental health problems to reveal themselves in younger users, but we'll talk more about that later. Although cannabis has gained popularity for being a potential treatment for seizure and tremor conditions like epilepsy and Parkinson's, there has been some research that has revealed that cannabis could actually exacerbate these conditions, but more research is needed. In addition to these risks, there's also a condition that can develop in chronic users, usually in users that have been using high THC cannabis regularly for two years or more, called cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. In states where pot is legal, doctors are seeing an increase in a violent illness. Local doctors are seeing an uptick in a rare illness caused by chronic cannabis use. For unclear reasons, the nausea and vomiting are relieved by hot showers or baths. 
Since 2009, emergency room visits for CHS in two Colorado hospitals nearly doubled. The good news is that for anyone that may experience this condition, it typically goes away if you simply stop using cannabis for a while. However, there are some reported cases where users that stopped using cannabis to recover re-experienced the nausea and vomiting symptoms when they started using cannabis again. Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is a somewhat controversial condition. There are some people out there that claim that it's likely caused by contaminants like pesticides in cannabis products rather than the cannabinoids found in cannabis. However, this has not been substantiated as of yet. We just don't really know exactly what's going on here. Also, in states that have legalized cannabis use, reports of this condition are starting to become more and more prevalent as people become more comfortable talking about their cannabis use with their healthcare providers. So potentially this condition is actually more widespread than once thought. We just don't really know yet. The next thing I wanted to explore were drug interactions with cannabis. So, so cannabis can definitely interact with meds. That's Jana Champagne, a registered nurse who over the past several years has focused her attention almost exclusively on cannabis. Um, that's one of the big areas we assess with patients. In fact, we have a list of criteria on our website under the FAQ that it kind of guides patients through a questionnaire. Mm. Um, you know, do you have a cardiac condition? Do you have cancer? Do you have diabetes? You know, is it for a child or adolescent where they should seek medical oversight of their yeah. cannabis therapy? And pharmaceutical interactions are probably the big one that could potentially cause harm. And I know that is such an unpopular message, but I've seen some close calls. I've yeah. seen some near misses. And I'm telling you, in a perfect storm scenario, somebody could get harmed. And then the reputation of cannabis as a safe medication goes out the window. You know, I had an 80-something-year-old woman with chronic pain in Michigan, and she went into a dispensary, which she called a health clinic. She yeah. thought she was yeah. getting medical advice. Yeah. And, you know, for chronic pain, never used cannabis. She was taking metoprolol, which interacts with THC in a way that can cause somebody to think they're having a heart attack and they end up in the ER. Yeah. This bud tender sold her a 300 milligram THC candy bar. But don't worry. He told her to only eat half. Oh, my I mean, gosh. This poor woman was high for days. And thank God she happened to space it away from her medications. Or that could have been a real problem. So, you know, these, and that's just, you know, a medication interaction, but then you have other interactions with like chemotherapies where it's, where combined with CBD, it can expedite liver failure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there's definitely reasons to seek medical oversight, um, you know, when, when those conditions are, are present. Other healthcare professionals I spoke with said that they're particularly concerned about interactions with things like blood thinning medications, chemotherapy drugs, epilepsy drugs, and immune system therapy drugs like HIV treatments. It's been long known that certain foods and medications can change the way the body metabolizes things, like other foods and drugs. This effect is so well known with grapefruit that some drugs even have an actual grapefruit warning on them. If you ever see a grapefruit warning on a medication, it's referring to this potential interaction that could occur where compounds in the grapefruit can slow down the liver's ability to metabolize a lot of different medications by inhibiting a group of enzymes called the P450 enzymes. This inhibition will cause the levels of medications in the blood to rise. And so for people taking drugs with really narrow safety windows, this can actually be really problematic. Well, it turns out that CBD exhibits the same effect, the grapefruit effect, 
the CBD market's just exploding yes. and the regulatory oversight's kind of weird it on is. it. Um, yeah, and CBD has the most interactions with pharmaceuticals. Right, and the way it I affects mean, the liver. Yeah, if you're taking yeah. warfarin and you combine it with CBD, it's going to increase the, the efficacy of the warfarin and you can see where internal bleeding could be a potential yeah, side effect yeah. of that. If a patient's on hypertension medications and they want to try CBD for pain, we still teach. Watch your blood pressure. Take it every day. If it's low, you know, don't take one or the other and document it for your physician and start talking to them about, I'm taking this and it's lowering my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Can we start to wean off the pharma? Anyone using CBD, particularly high doses of CBD, along with other medications, should be particularly cautious and work with a healthcare professional to stay safe. Let's review what we've learned so far. The primary constituents of cannabis resins, THC and CBD, or to be more accurate, THCA and CBDA, are not toxic and it's virtually impossible to lethally overdose on cannabis or cannabis products. But there are other health risks associated with cannabis use, like risks to lung health, mouth health, mental health, and heart health. Many of these risks can be minimized by simply avoiding smoking and using low doses. Cannabis can interact with medications, and anyone taking drugs with narrow safety windows or medications that have a grapefruit warning on them should make sure to work with a healthcare professional to stay safe. So far, everything we've explored about the health risks of cannabis have ignored a critical element, contaminants. Join me in part two of this series where we explore contaminants and additives in cannabis products. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Wilson. Thanks, and take it easy. Special thanks to our guests that were so gracious in spending time with me for interviews that helped construct not just this episode, but other episodes throughout the season. To check out the citations for this episode, and there are plenty, you can check out the show notes by visiting cacpodcast.com. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. If you like what we're doing here and want to support the show, please consider supporting us by liking and sharing this episode with your friends and family. You can also choose to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash naturallearningenterprises, where you can get access to the full-length guest interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and a lot more. You can also connect with Curious About Cannabis on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them.